Hello and welcome to Time to Talk, the podcast that brings you important conversations about health in a digestible form. I am your host, Dr. Claire Gilvray from Cognitive Sports Therapy. I bring you over 20 years of clinical experience. So sit back or pop on your trainers and head out the door and let's go. Brilliant, that's us live. So um, hello and welcome to um, Cognitive Sports Therapy's Time to Talk. Um, and I'm really, really pleased to have James Rose back with us. And um, you've been on before, um, James. Um, and this week we were focusing a little bit on youth mental health, which is why I brought you back, James. You're a trained psychotherapist. You work with um, young people. You work with adults as well, don't you? But, yeah, um, yes. But you work with young um, people um, uh, and we thought it would be great to just come on together and have a bit of a chat around youth mental health, what we're seeing in our clinics, um, and hopefully try and create some help and support for people who are struggling with young people in their lives or the young people themselves in this area. Mm. You want to say something about, I guess it's been a while since you've been on here, about what you're seeing and seeing in your clinics yeah um well, firstly thank you for having me back on it was such a um it was such a pleasure um speaking last time and i promise i'll i'll be as succinct as i possibly can but you know once i get onto the subjects i'm extremely passionate about it particularly children and young people's mental health um and you know look it's, it's been a really challenging couple of years um and and in terms of from a pandemic perspective, everybody has been impacted in their own unique way. What has been interesting, and I think um, there's been a level of predictability to it, is as the world has sort of straightened itself out a little bit, we fully expected the presentation of children to, to start to filter through. I would say since the return to school in September, um, numbers are... I, so I've been in practice 15 years. I would say they're unprecedented levels now. I don't. Yeah. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I think if I speak to colleagues uh, and other charities and organisations that I work with, um, numbers are outrageously high. And, and what we're seeing is that if I go back sort of 10 or 15 years ago, what we would consider to be high level um complex patients coming in whether that be on the inpatient unit or outpatient um this it's like these are like day-to-day -day presenting symptoms now as well so high levels of eating disorder high levels of self-harm um disassociated states high levels of anxiety we're seeing um lots of lots of the term depression used but i think that's a conversation for another day in terms of anxiety and depression with respect yeah. of how it's becoming so easily woven into the fabric of society and such an um, use of language but isn't always um the the, the the correct terminology to use so what we and, and actually can misinform some of these younger people and and create more difficult problems with such but i mean in terms of eds and uh, and self-harm yeah numbers bigger yeah. numbers coming through and i think part of our conversation beforehand is what i certainly see um a lot is there's a lot of panic around child mm. mental health so i often have parents um or i have friends who are teachers or in that environment 
really kind of quite um, panicked and um, anxious themselves about what they're seeing amongst young people. Um, And also around the provision, feeling that there is a lack of provision in mental health services for young people, people who are turned away um, from the mental health services for not being unwell enough. I hear that story a lot, um, which shocks me, but it's it's unfortunately, I think, a sign of where the NHS is struggling um, in its service provision for for the young people. I, I, I partly part of this conversation today was to also try and share other resources that are out there for um, parents and young people to get support around their mental health because because the sometimes they're not getting what they need through the NHS services mm-hmm. but I don't know do, do we want to talk a little bit about eating disorders because that was something that definitely came up between you and me as something we're seeing a lot more mm-hmm. um, in young people and, and and certainly I'm seeing an increase in the number of young boys with eating disorders which yeah. is a fairly new thing and um, mm-hmm. And also, I guess, an expansion of what we understand as an eating disorder. So it's not always associated with the low weights that we used no. to see. Yeah. So I, I think that what, for me, what's really interesting is there was, the, the, you know, often there were um, what we would consider to be the atypical um, eating disorder patient that um, often, you know, and you would see in mainstream media, it was the, you know, white female underweight, restrictive eating behaviours, excessive exercise, etc. But the plethora of obviously the eating disorder spectrum is is vast and wide, but also the presenting patients and the the difference in demographics coming through is is quite alarming. For me, clinically speaking, looking at the the drivers behind an eating disorder from a child or, or young person's perspective is that need and that desire for control. Probably the one of the only last mainstays of their existence, what they can control. So when an individual, a young person or, or child's going through a, a particularly challenging time, uh, developmental transition or period of crisis, and that is even parking the pandemic to one side, obviously that chaos um, that is felt internally uh, stimulates that region of the brain that regulates control and if we feel overwhelmed and out of control we will initially externalize that and attempt to gave, galvanize a, a sense of control in our in our physical world but if it still feels as though it's slipping and sliding or more often than not i say to the young people is that that the problem with life becomes life itself their very sheer existence is too much for them um so the, their last the last piece that they've got is what they what they put in their mouth or what they don't put in their mouth or what they can they can um, purge as it were and interestingly i assessed a patient this morning that you um again would not follow an atypical trajectory mm-hmm. um historically there uh, and and actually uh, there was a diagnosis of adhd in the april um so lots of different unusual components that made up this young lady's um presentation but was beginning to um administer purging as a coping tool as a coping mechanism in a world that was very chaotic for her as well Mm. i think that we know that 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 response that uh, seizure of control does release dopamine we know that it will give a hit It, it releases this sense of um it releases endorphins in that momentary space of chaos there is a reprieve because we have exerted um a choice um short-term measures nowhere near longer-term gains but, but for that young person 
that's working through this crisis, it, it becomes almost like a wonder drug. And that addictive quality drives it further and further and further. Um, and, and as I say, there are we, we are seeing um, purging behaviours, uh, we are seeing overeating, we are seeing restrictive behaviours, there are debt in, and, and equally, as, as you mentioned at the start, obviously I have a split caseload, both, both adults and children, I'm seeing a number, um, and not to go off course here, of adults also presenting with eating disorders, and that is very much on the rise, and interesting, like yourself, do a lot of work, work with schools, a lot of teachers, um, presenting with eating disorders as well. Yeah. So, um, so there is there is a you look. The last two years shows um, in its purest form how little control we have over our existence, and and that is in its magnified um, version. So, the so it's understandable people are reaching out in any way they can to try and regain a sense of control. Coming back into the world as it straightens itself out, I think is is alarming and difficult for people to adjust. Um, but yeah. yeah, so. And I think I think, you know, treating someone's eating disorder is beyond the scope of these videos. Obviously, yeah. I th I, you know, we talk off then about what's the message, what's the what are we hoping to have a, as a, a takeaway from these videos? And I, eating disorders, from what I see, are one of the biggest um, disorders which are very secret and hidden and I, I think you know there's something here to be said about actually recognizing that it doesn't always fit that stereotype of person mm. um being open to um getting help I guess and reaching out for help even if you don't fit into that category of of um individual who is particularly low weight and that image that we've got of an eating disorder because we kind of need to be getting to the point of accepting help in order to make mm. a difference, don't we? So it's 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 that moving it from a secret world into asking for help and and you know taking away the shame and the the guilt that's often hidden behind closed doors with eating disorders. I don't know if you add anything to that or think that to yourself. Well, or... uh, certainly, uh, absolutely. I think what we're seeing is there's a there's a lot of good work being done um, currently by by a number of different organisations and individuals um with regards to breaking the stigma around these atypical eating disorders and 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 actually those individuals that that clearly have um an eating disorder but as you say the shame and guilt it doesn't fit within that criteria and i think this is where a lot of treatment models or, or certainly services struggle because we're not tick the individuals are not ticking that box yeah. Um, and that is that is um, extremely upsetting and disheartening. And I think that what we have to understand from an eating disorder is the, the binary metrics that a lot of systems apply to it. With, you know, if, if, if the weight is here, then naturally you're you're not at risk, and so therefore you don't qualify for services. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think um, Chris Fair Fairburn is, you know, um, famous for saying that. Um, an eating disorder by definition is a disorder of the mind so therefore we know that there is a mental health issue it's just displaying in a more biological format but we can't apply these binary metrics to determine whether someone is deserving of, of treatment or not yeah and so um we have to and like i say the, 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 there are many charities and there are many organizations that are doing an enormous amount of amazing work to break that stigma and to be able to provide access to a number um of 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 individuals that don't fit that that stereotypical um eating disorder
So the big one that I often I follow and and encourage people to look at is Beat the Beat charity. Yes, yeah, really yeah, yeah. Their stuff's really great. Are, are there any other resources that you we could be pointing people to that you yeah. use? So so there's I've got um, five that I would recommend. So you've got yeah. Beat that you mentioned. Um, Mind will cover a variety yeah, of different yeah, presentations. So Mind would be another one I go to. It used to be called. Um, and uh, ABC, which is anorexia and bulimia care, but it's now called Talk Ed. So Talk ED, yeah. they've rebranded themselves. Um, theirs is their website is talk-ed.org.uk. Um, the National Centre for Eating Disorders and also Young Minds as well. Those would be my go-to's. There's ones that though, there are um, some that are more um, geared just towards eating disorders, uh, and there are those that are more generic around uh, mental health. All come with a variety of different resources and signposts in different directions. And I think that, is it, I think it might be Talk Ed that actually offer um, access to services. So phone services, group-based services. Um, I think Beat does as well, actually. I think yeah. you can actually speak to people yeah. on through Beat. They have a like a, a phone line. Yeah, and this is, this is the, you know, we, we mentioned before, it's a, it's knocking on those doors it's continuing it's picking up the phone it's trying to that shame or guilt that may be there it's it's not about trying to rid ourselves of that but it's finding space for it and containing it so that we can cultivate enough confidence to seek the help that we deserve to yeah. progress through to that recovery stage yeah and not being afraid to ask for help as mm -hmm. you say breaking down that stigma a little bit so that um you know so we we know that there's help there and, and trying to continue to ask for it mm. i mean th there's a link across here to self-harm isn't there you know i often think of an eating disorder for some people as almost yeah. a form of self-harm for them um do we use the same services is there any other resources out there for people who are self-harming any other lessons uh, we can i certainly think young minds and um and mind would would be my initial go-to yeah. uh, again for resources it there are that you're absolutely right there is there is definitely there is most certainly a crossover and i would often um group from a treatment perspective the mechanisms or the coping mechanisms with with each individual presentation uh, as similar it's a way of regaining a sense of control as we said before reprieve stopping the world for a, a period of moments um, there are some specific uh, interventions that, it, with regards to self-harm that people can search. There are a number of different websites out there will, that will work primarily or focus just on that. I think what we need to be mindful of from a treatment perspective is, I come across recently that uh, a patient who, who was under the care of someone else and there was this, there was this um, attention on almost renaming or rebranding the eating disorder as um as some sort of a villain um from a child's perspective so it was creating a okay. um a negative entity that we need to rid ourselves of there, there is a, and i'm not dismissing anyone else's practice but in each patient that comes through it's about finding the right consultant or practitioner to work with i'm a, I'm a huge believer of the relationship underpinning the, the treatment model I think what we need to be mindful of is each young person or individual has cultivated these coping mechanisms to manage a period of crisis. If we start to create this um, archetypal villain of an eating disorder or self-harm, 
we end up dismissing quite a significant part of ourselves, and it ends up creating a friction it ends up mm. creating generating a heat internally that can cause a resistance within the progression of treatment as well so there's an acceptance and an accommodation of what it does but it is short-term uh, mechanics or, or coping mechanisms and, and with regards to self-harm as well it provides that escapism and what I would urge all parents to do um, and even us as, as health professionals is to gain that level of understanding sometimes in society we can be quite dismissive if we don't have enough information about certain subjects if we can own our own vulnerability with regards to certain presentations we don't need to fear it and parents as well if we can understand it more gain galvanized resources as, as best as we can um we, we can then look at supporting that young person collectively with others or, or find appropriate services too i think we talked about that a bit before we came on air didn't we about the it's the behavior is the thing that shocks us particularly as parents or or carers you know the the cutting the kind of weight loss the behavior is the thing but actually the need to kind of take a bit of a step back and have a, a different perspective and understand what's going on mm. and can help and it there's that kind of something here about creating some kind of space and slowing down mm. amidst the chaos that can happen around a young person who's who, who who's in the midst of this kind of behavior and I guess they're reaching out to the adults around them to help create some boundaries around that to kind of calm everything down a little bit rather than be caught up in the chaos of the behavior with them I, you know mm. it's definitely you know all line is a uh, all behavior is a line of communication and i think sometimes we can be lost in that behaviorist approach of shutting down the behavior ceasing the behavior but for us as, as care providers as health professionals or parents and even for the young person understanding the cause or the drivers behind it will always be the route to recovery will always provide us the tools to reduce and, and it's the quietening of the world that is important for all of us at all ages particularly a young person they have come out of a period of latency during the pandemic and the world being much much quieter and mm. i read this piece recently where it, it said that we are re-entering a plague of productivity and it really is that that there is this there's an amazing book, if you haven't read it yet, called 4,000 Weeks. Um, excellent um, with regards to the intensity of our existence, um, which was written over the pandemic. And um, and this is for the young people as well. There is a de delay. They have missed a lot of social developmental cues um, because they have been out of a system. They've been out of the schooling system um, in its usual form. So we would expect, and I go on to continue to expect, high levels of um, discomfort being presented with children and young people going forward as well. Um, but if we can slow that intensity, that gives us an opportunity or a window to begin to understand their world and support them as best as we can. Yeah, brilliant. Um... We've run over time, we always do, but um, there's always it's just a massive topic and we can kind of circle around and, and it'll be great to have you on again another time. But um, I always say at the end of um, one of these videos is that, you know, feel free to message us if you've got any questions and I can pass them on to James. It's a really difficult topic. It may be it triggering is. for some people and the the shock and the the panic that happens around these disorders is completely understandable. We're not, mm. we're not belittling that or... No 
suggesting people shouldn't be overreacting or calling it an overreaction because I think it's a natural response when your child is hurting. But um, I think the big message here, hopefully, that we've been able to put across is that there is help out there, that it's worth banging on, on some doors to get that. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very happy to signpost if I can't help um, you in this situation. Um, and um, yeah, there is support there for you. And it, unfortunately, it's really common. Um, there is something there and just knowing that you're not alone in what you're experiencing. But um, thanks, James, as always. And um, I hope you have a, a nice evening and Thank I will you. see you again soon. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been Time to Talk with Dr. Claire Gilvray from Cognitive Sports Therapy. Wishing you a strong mind, body and breath. Mm -hmm.